good morning to you all. Happy Father's Day to those of you who are fathers, or you might have a role of a father as well. So happy Father's Day to you guys, and I hope you're wearing plaid for dad today. And uh, <laughs> I heard that on the way in today on, in, on the radio. I thought it was kind of catchy. And I didn't plan it that way, but Carly said, you're wearing plaid. Oh, yeah, I am. I'm wearing plaid. Good. I love plaid. Um, especially red plaid in hunting season, but that's another story. We'll just leave that. Leave that for another time. So we want to um, talk about the Holy Spirit this morning, and um, if you were to land on our website, just right now, your phone's in, your, in the pew, um, you would see a tab entitled, Our Beliefs. If you punched on that, you would scroll down to the Holy Spirit. In the last two Sundays, we have covered God the Father and God the Son, this morning we will try to define the Holy Spirit. I say try. It's a huge topic, as is the other ones. God the Father, go, go figure, go speak on that one, and try and come up with an exhaustive message on that. And the, whole, and the Son as well, and the Holy Spirit's right in there. We will not exhaust it today. But uh, the Word of God does give us clear insight as to who this is and His purpose in the world, in the church, and in the believer, so that we may enjoy God as a reality. And that's really what, what the Holy Spirit is, is making God real. That's my title for this morning, is the Holy Spirit making God real. Um, I would like to take it away from the religious mystical connotation that it often has and relay it to us today in a very real way. I mentioned the word Trinity. What is it? So we'll just get this thing going here. And many thanks to the um, AV people and... We're dealing with a new pointer today, so let me just see here. Yes, down is forward. Okay, so this little illustration here, no illustration of the Trinity is perfect. Here is one of the better ones. I'm sure you can read many that are out there. God is one but exists as three distinct persons. Um, we see here that it's a triangle that's uh, figured here. He's, God is like a triangle, one figure, three sides at the same time. So there's a simultaneous threeness in oneness. And so you can see here an equilateral triangle, all with the same angles, all with the same length of sides. And this is how we can maybe picture the Trinity as that three in one. Another illustration is love. Love is trifold, isn't it? Love involves three elements. A lover, one loved, and a spirit of love. These three are one. This illustration has a personal connotation to it as well, right? We see people coming together, and we see these three elements as a personal relation that they have. So that is also given as an illustration of Trinity. I want to just mention here this Trinity. I mean, this, this doctrine has been uh, brought together by the church, and he, it's founded in the Word of God. And it's an attempt to try to, to, to relate God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit to us. Um, so in the big picture of things, God, this is God's endeavor. This is God's triune endeavor. It's always been his prerogative to come to his people and relate to them. In the Trinity, or God is three persons, he has done this. God came near, it says in Genesis, God, plural, that means all three distinct persons, created heavens and the earth, and all three persons of the Godhead were involved in creating an habitable, habitable earth. It says of the Father in Psalm 113.6, it says, 
He humbles himself to behold the heavens and the earth. That's where it starts. That's where sort of the Trinity is starting to relate to human beings. He makes an habitable earth. And so he humbles himself to behold the heavens and the earth. Myself, when I look up at the, or look at pictures of the earth or even the moon, I am humbled by that. But God himself is so great, so fantastic, so, so, so big, that he humbles himself first to behold what he has made. This is his first thing to come and relate to humanity. God the Father does this. Then we have the Son. The Son, behold, the virgin shall be with child. Behold the Son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. So here is God the Son now coming in earthly form. And uh, the New Living Translation says this, because God's children are human beings made of flesh and blood. The Son also became flesh and blood. For only as a human being could he die. Hebrews 2.14. And then we have an even further step forward in relation to man. We have God the Holy Spirit. And so for you are, it says in the Bible, it says, For you are the temple of the living God. As God said of Christians, I will dwell in them and walk among them. I will be their God and they shall be my people. So the Trinity would like to come to us and relay themselves to us in a very personal and real way. And we see the triune God is all in. He is all in at making that step, that, uh, making the step towards us. He loves us because we love him because he first loved us. He took the step. He took the initiative. And, he, and this is the, the thing here that I want to uh, uh, kind of hit home with today is that God in this, let's not get lost in the Trinity word. Let's, let's just think of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. He wants to come very close to us and very near to us to establish this relationship with us. And through accepting Christ as Savior, His Holy Spirit, the person of God comes to live within us. And that's how near He wants to be. And He always started that endeavor right at the start of creation. So here is our statement of faith. The study of the Holy Spirit brings to us to the point at which the Trinity becomes personal. So as we understand some of the things or not understand some of the things about the Father, well, we might think about, well, the Father is afar off. We can kind of uh, also think about the Son. Well, I mean, the Son might not relate to us too well. The Son is a long time ago in history. But the Spirit is active in the life of the people of the world. And that's who makes God real to us. And, and takes it from a doctrinal way to a reality in our lives. He is, a he is the particular person of the Trinity through whom the triune God currently works in us. It is through the Holy Spirit's work that we feel God's presence within and the Christian life is given a certain tangibility. And so we see here that the Holy Spirit is a person and is fully God, possessing all the distinctively divine attributes he convicts the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. At conversion, he baptizes each believer into the body of Christ and comes to indwell them permanently and, he, and sets them apart to a holy life. You'll read this on our website. This is, one, this is the statement of faith that we have regarding the Holy Spirit. Some of the difficulties maybe that you might have in understanding the Holy Spirit. I've been a Christian since probably eight years old. I will not tell you how old I am now. Um, I, you know, when, when you're talking, when Rennie was talking about 20 years, 
uh, that we've been here at Rita View. I've forgotten if you were to ask me how long you've been at Rita View for, I forget. So that's a sign of my age. I forget almost everything. But anyways, uh, some of the things, you, in general, I mean, the Holy Spirit comes to talk about Christ. His ministry is to show Christ to us. And, and, and that's why we maybe see less of him in the Bible. For a given passage, we might see more about the Father, more about the Son, and less about the Holy Spirit. That's what the Holy Spirit is doing. He is sharing with us who God is, and we might see less of him. That might be some of the difficulty that we have in understanding the Holy Spirit, because we read less about him. Also, a lack, there might be a lack of concrete imagery, right? We can get the Father. That's a well, happy Father's Day, right? That's a, that's a figure. We can understand that. We can, we can relate that to God in a very concrete way. Um, even the son, we can understand the son. He came to live in a bodily form in this life. So we see here God as uh, represented in the son, and that's tangible. But some reason we have the spirit, and, and we, we know why, because he's a spirit. We don't really think about him as a person. I think over my years, since, since a very young age, I've been trying to, to, to try and just grasp the whole sort of doctrine of the Holy Spirit in a re very real, tangible way, and yet this is what he does. He brings Christianity to reality in our lives. And when I read things about the Holy Spirit as a person, sometimes those things don't resonate. How can a spirit be a person? Well, I mean, that's how we're made up, right? I grew up reading the, the King James Version. Nothing wrong with that. This is not about versions today. But one of the designated terms for the Holy Spirit was the Holy Ghost. Well, that already just puts another connotation in my mind as you're growing up. I mean, who is this Holy Ghost? It's a ghost. A ghost isn't real. A ghost doesn't have a person. How can a ghost? I mean, that's what you think when you read these things, right? But uh, maybe that's one of the reasons why, too, there's a difficulty in understanding the Holy Spirit and who he is. Um, so some of these things might, be, might exist in your understanding. I've just highlighted those here in colors. These are the three points I want to make today about the function of the Holy Spirit. We're going to look at the Holy Spirit being a person. What does it mean to be a person? Does he have this existence in the scripture to demonstrate that he is a person and that he's also fully God? And then he also, we also want to look at him and his purpose in the world. He convicts the world of sin and righteousness and judgment. At conversion, when you become a Christian, he baptizes each one of us into the church into the, 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 the sort of the, the, the church at large, but he puts you into the body of Christ, which is the church, and comes to indwell in you permanently, and then works with you as you progress in your Christian life to give you the fruit of the Spirit, to give you something that you can produce in your own, in your own life that would be related to God and his service. So we want to look at uh, in the blue, who he is. We want to look at the red and green, what he does in the world. In the red, in the life of a person, and in the green, in the life of a Christian. And so we see here, uh, as a person, um, we know that a person has a mind and a will and a feeling. Each individual member of the Trinity is a person, since each is referred to as a person. Each has all the basic elements or powers of personhood the mind, the will, and feeling. Um, some of the things that, that kind of relate this to me a little bit better was, you know, when I attend a funeral or when I attend a wake, rather, and the, it's an open casket. I know the person who's in the casket. And, uh, and, and you can see some familiarity. Of course, it's the body. You recognize that. That's familiar to you. But there's something missing, isn't there? 
that person is missing, the mind, the will, and the feeling. So something could be very tangible and real in that person, but, but, but not there in that body, right? It's not real. The body is real. We see that as real, but the reality of the person is gone. The mind, the will, and the feeling is gone. And, and that's uh, striking when I go to uh, awake and the, the person really is missing, right? The person and who they are is missing. Even though a spirit, the spirit has actions of a person. And so we see here that in the mind, it says here in John 14, 26, but the counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you. So d d despite on what we think of the Holy Spirit as, whether he's a ghost or he's just a spirit and kind of floating around there, well, he is a person. He does have these, these attributes as a person. He is a counselor. The more, you know, that I've been thinking about this topic, I mean, I've, I've, I've grasped with the, these things for my whole Christian life. It's not that today I'm coming to an Eureka moment, but I am I'm starting to get it that he is a person. And he is able to teach. Um, and so we see this verse here that, that typifies that or, or explain, illustrates that in 1 Corinthians 12.1. Here is his will. All these are the work of one. And it talks about the Holy Spirit um, giving gifts to the church, giving gifts to you as come to the Lord as a Christian. He gives you a gift. It says, all these are, are the work of one and the same spirit. He gives to them each one just as he determines. You ever wonder why it's so hard maybe to um, live out the gift that you've been given? Or, Well, sometimes, you know, you don't know why. And there was a lot of things that God made people do that didn't know why in the Bible. Uh, but it was his will. And the Holy Spirit determines then something that you have as a gift, even though you might think this doesn't jive with me. Well, just understand that by his sovereignty, he, is, he has determined that you should have that gift, use it for him. But this verse here will illustrate again the will that he has. He's determined, he's put his will on that body of Christ to make it what he wants it to be. So we see here another representation of him being a person. Ephesians 4.30, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you are sealed for the day of redemption. Just a mystical spirit out there does not grieve, does not have feeling. And yet here, here the person of God is grieved um, when um, maybe we don't listen to the Holy Spirit's promptings as we should. And also a person here is uh, illustrated here in this uh, verse here. It says that when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears. And so the use of the personal pronoun here suggests that the spirit is not impersonal, but that he is very personal. The Holy Spirit performs the same activities of a person. These things here I've listed. I have not taken the time uh, to put it on the slide here, but there's many verses that support these things here um, as actions of a person and what we do in this life. The Holy Spirit, um, sorry, um, let me see, yeah, searches, speaks, reveals, convinces, strives, moves, helps, creates, recreates, sanctifies, inspires, intercedes, orders the affairs of the church. And he is significantly involved in this. And, um, uh, you know, we know this maybe as for many years as Christians, but we, are we really entering into that and what that means? Um, the, the, he performs the activities of a person uh, in, these, in these domains here.
So he's fully God as well. He is given the names of deity. Where do we see that? Well, in this little example here of Acts chapter 5, verse 3 and 4, we see that the Ananias, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit? This is Ananias, a story about them in the church, and they have behaved a certain way in the church, but the Holy Spirit is calling them out. And so you haven't lied to the Holy Spirit, but you have not, you have not lied to men, but to God himself. So we see here the Holy Spirit and God is used interchangeably and in the same verse. Other attributes that he may um, have, that he does have, is life. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free. And so the Holy Spirit has this life of God that he wants to share with others. Upon confession of faith in receiving Christ as your savior, you're reborn. Reborn with what? The life of God. And in our studies on Tuesday nights, we see how the life of God is exhibited in the life of a believer to overcome things and to act in certain ways. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus made me free. So there's life, there's truth. My, how we need truth these days, don't we? The Holy Spirit is absolute truth. He can be fully trusted. He will only guide us according to absolute truth. So he has come. He will guide you into all truth. And then we have love as an attribute, don't we? Where does love come from? God originated love. God is love. Through the love of the Spirit, we strive together in prayers to God for me. So here is through the love of the Spirit. And God is love. We are made in his image. The Holy Spirit will communicate love to our hearts. And we see this as a person, as a function of his person. Here are some others that we have. Um, Possessing the attributes of deity, we see him present everywhere all the time. And that's like uh, an omnipresence, we have that term. But I want to kind of put out that term because we don't want to, again, like, uh, well, we can use these words, but I just want to make it very simple. Present everywhere all the time. That's God. Is the spirit that way? Psalm 139.7 would say that it is. Where can I go from your spirit? Or where can I flee from your presence? Omniscience. He knows everything. No one can know the mind of a person's thoughts except that person's own spirit, right? And no one can know God's thoughts except God's own spirit. So the spirit of God knows everything that God does because he is God. And so that's another attribute of his deity. He's eternal. Hebrews, sorry, I have uh, that spelling wrong there. Hebrews 9.14, Christ through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God. He is eternal, he is fully God, and possessing that divine attribute. Okay, so our next slide here, we'll, we'll go on to the second point I want to make this morning. He convicts the world of sin. What does he do, righteousness and judgment, what does he do in the life of people? Is he just a sort of intangible sort of spirit floating around there out in outer space? and throughout the world. Um, I'd like to share a few thoughts here uh, from the Systematic Theology book, page 549. In brief, the Father is a planner, the Son is the accomplisher, and the Holy Spirit, Spirit is the applier of salvation to believers. The Father is the source, the Son is the means, and the Holy Spirit is the effector of salvation. It is he who convicts, convinces, and converts. And so here he is very much involved with coming near to our hearts and convincing us in a very spiritual and tangible way the things of God to our heart, that they're reality. 
And this is the things, these are the, some of the things that he does for us. And so um, these, this is the verse here where we get this from in the statement of faith, John 16, verse 8 and 11, reading from the New Living Translation. When the Holy Spirit comes, he will convict the world of its sin and of God's righteousness and of the coming judgment. The world's sin is that it refuses to believe in me. Righteousness is available because I go to the Father. Judgment will come because the ruler of this world has already been judged. And so there's going to be a time where maybe, as you're learning about the things of God, reading about him, maybe not making quite good sense with it, there's going to come a time maybe that he's going to convict you about some of the things he says about us. And that our sin is there as a, as a rampant thing in the, in the root of our hearts and that he has a, a remedy for it. And so as we see Christ as that Savior who takes our sin, we, we just kind of relinquish our sin uh, we, on him because he's paid for it in full. And we take Christ at his word and believe him and therefore take his righteousness. Righteousness of God is available to us, a perfect standing before God because we take Christ's righteousness on us when we um, have him as our savior and that also too there will be a coming day when when the holy spirit what he does right now he puts on a little bit of a uh, sort of a urgency to these things as already it's seen that the ruler of this world has already been judged that is proof that this world will not continue forever there will be a judgment to this world and also uh, a point at which an evaluation is made on our decisions regarding Christ and who he is. Have we believed in him or not? Making God real. How does this begin then? How does it start with us? Faith comes by hearing, the word of God says. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. What does that mean? Well, we, we read the Bible. And um, we read it again. And even if we don't understand, we read it again and take in the things that are said about God, things that are said about the Son, and things that are said about us. And I, I don't want to get into uh, in-depth doctrine here about conversion, regeneration, and repentance. I do take the stuff from uh, theology books, and I present them to us. But, you know, you hear about God, don't you? You are trying to piece it together. You are learning about what God says about you. You are learning about who he is, the purpose of his son's life. Salvation from what? What's the salvation? Um, do I really need it? Do I really need it? All this hype about who God is and this excitement, do I really need that? God starts to work on your heart and to encourage you to be courageously seeking the truth. And that's God working to put all previous notions about him to bed. Um, back at camp, but Galilee Bible Camp, when I was a, a young lad, um, I, I learned this about, uh, we were, um, those of us who were Christians were encouraged to lead other boys to, to Christ. And one of the things that the counselor had said to us was that, okay, this is, this is what you should keep in mind. When you're talking to someone about the things of God, you, you have to relate to them that they have to mean business with God. It's not a, a superfluous type, uh, you know, surface type dealing with him. Um, you have to encourage them to mean business. Do you mean business with God? Are you reading his word? Is it true? Go ahead and search the truth 
uh, turn over every stone there is and search for God. You have to encourage them to mean business. And so that's what we did. And I thought, you know, that has stuck with me to today, all these years. So kudos to Kent, kudos to God for doing this. He's put that in my heart because, you know, you could talk about God and the fluffy stuff and everything else, but if you're really searching, um, you, you don't go to the internet. You go to God's word and you, you, you try to just say, God, I want to mean business. If you're, if you're to be known, then I want to know you and mean business with God. So here's conversion. We have conversion, human perspective, right? And re regeneration, which is God's perspective. This is how we begin to make God real. Conversion is a turning to God, an abandoning of sin, a realization that your, your, your sin put Christ on the cross. You want to turn from it, turn to Christ and faith in his work and promises, acknowledging Acknowledging his absolute truth in his word, receive Christ into your life. So those two components there of a human being's turning to God, one is repentance. If my sin put you on the cross, I want to turn from that and fully look to Christ and what he says is true about my life and what I can have through him. And so you come to that point. And then God takes his life that we talked about already, the spiritual life, and he re births you and that's God's beginning it's a miraculous transformation through a new birth and that's God's beginning in you and when God is in you and his life is in you it's better than anything else any self-help book out there in terms of getting your life then back on track or or just helping you deal with the world's events or, or circumstances that are in your life God starts to work within you to tidy up the outward. Uh, so many things are starting from the outside. Clean up the outside. Never mind about that. Just mean business with God, and God will come and rebirth you in, in his nature. And this is the beginning point of making God real in your life. And so no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of the Spirit. At conversion, he baptizes, is the third point I want to make here tonight, today, sorry. At conversion, he baptizes each believer into the body of Christ and comes to indwell them permanently and sets them apart to a holy life. You, as a Christian, have been made part of the church universal and local here in this community of believers. If you find yourself in this community of Readview Bible Chapel, you have been made part of this body of Christ by the Holy Spirit. God indwells you permanently. He has come to live with you and make his home with you. It says the Father, he will give you another advocate who will never leave you. The world cannot receive him because it isn't looking for him. But you know him because he lives with you now and later will be in you. Another verse that was very instrumental in me trying to discover this this. Holy Spirit in relation to my life and, and some of the reality that I, that I experience in my life right now as a Christian is this verse right here. You have not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. Instead, you received God's spirit when he adopted you as his own children, for his spirit joins with our spirit to affirm that we are God's children. And so isn't that so? 
Those of us who haven't taken that step towards Christianity to take that conversion, to human turning point to God and to allow God to pour his life into us, well, we won't know it until we do that. But when we do that, his spirit joins with our spirit. There's a communication there, isn't there? And there's a flood of emotion that happens with that, that confirms that we are God's children. And ever since that beginning point with Christ, don't we as Christians feel that? Constantly that his spirit joins with our spirit, right? This is what makes God's real, God real to us as we live the Christian life. And so he sets us apart as Christians to live a holy life. Now this is not grabbing a book and checking off the things that we should do right and Xing off the things we should do wrong. That is not of the Spirit. That is not of the Spirit of God. The Holy Spirit comes to join with us and he teaches us just like you would teach a small child. And he would, he would lovingly take us to mold us into the image of Christ. And so the continued transformation in a believer's life, we have moral and spiritual character developed. And at times through conflict, we read this in Romans 5.3, we glory in tribulations, knowing that tribulation produces perseverance and perseverance character and character hope. Now hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out into our hearts by the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Has it been our experience in the Christian way, and this is not, I'm not trying to put a guilt trip here. No, I'm not doing that. But I'm saying this verse says here that in, in disappointment, in, in strain in the Christian life, the love of God has been poured out again, has been poured out into your hearts by the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. The New King James poured, it means to gush, to run greedily out, to shed, to distribute largely. There's going to come a time, I'm convinced of this, as we see God face to face someday, as we see the Lord Jesus face to face in the coming time, we're going to be flooded with emotion about how great the love of God was and is, and how much, how little we knew it here. But that's what it says, it's poured out. What is the writer trying to say? He's trying the best he can to use an English word to, to, to kind of define this feeling. And it, 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 it sort of falls short, doesn't it? To run greedily out, to shed, to distribute largely, I trust that as the Holy Spirit works with us and makes God a reality in our life that we have these times where the Holy Spirit once again has shed the love of God into our hearts. And so we see here too that the Christian life is a mirror of the standing that we already have. Christ has already made us righteous. He has already won that battle for us. We're trying to live up to those things, but you know, it's not a defeatist lifestyle. It's not a defeatist lifestyle, but one in which Christ through his spirit trains us. He is there with us. He is progressing at a rate that is best for us, interjecting his grace on our hearts at the most opportune times. 
That is the life of the believer. It's not by keeping the law. There is another person, by the way, who, who is famous in history, a religious person, let's say, who would experience a tremendous battle as a Christian in his life. And that was Martin Luther. He said this about this battle. When the flesh, our ungodly nature, acts up, the only remedy is to take the sword of the Spirit or the Bible and fight against the flesh. If you do not use the word to battle, you are helpless. I know this to be a fact. I have been assailed by many violent passions, but as soon as I took hold of some scripture passage, my temptations left me. Without the word, I could have not helped myself against the flesh. It can't be by keeping the law. It's not going to work. And there's that battle there. If Martin Luther had the battle, we may experience a battle as well. And so it's not by keeping the law that we make ourselves perfect in Christ or, or more mature in Christ. It says in Galatians 3.3, 3, Having begun in the Spirit, are you now made perfect by the flesh? In our Tuesday nights, we took Colossians 2.23. It says that self-imposed religion, or the New Living Translation puts it this way, mere human teachings may seem wise because they require strong devotion, pious self-denial, and severe bodily discipline but they provide no help in conquering a person's evil desires. Colossians 2.23. The New King, James, New King James says this, they are of no value against the indulgence of the flesh. Strong devotion won't do it. Pious self-denial won't do it. And severe bodily discipline. That's what the Christians were taught in Colossians, Colossians, rather, sorry, in the Colossian heresy, there in that, in that book, and Paul brought Christ in the life of the Spirit in those believers. You've got to do it this way. It won't, it won't work otherwise. You've got to have something in your life that is stronger than your own devotion, stronger than self-denial, stronger than the bodily discipline. Holy Spirit will produce fruit in your life. For God, he enjoys it. For you, you enjoy it. And others certainly enjoy it as well. That's the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians, Galatians 5.22. In summary then. In summary, here are some of the points. He is a divine person. He wants to bring God near. The Holy Spirit will bring the conviction of God. He brings the reality of God outside of any human being, outside of any attempt of a human being, outside the church, and he communicates to us that this is of God. And it's something far greater than anybody else could imagine or orchestrate to dwell in you. The Holy Spirit dwells in us, becoming a Christian, the guarantee of heaven. And then to enjoy the very presence of God. And then to develop, the Holy Spirit will develop Christ-like qualities in us. And you know that there's no law against this. If Galatians 5.22 says about all the fruits, uh, fruit of the Spirit that he creates in a believer's life, there is no law. He says, against which there is no law, Paul says. This statement, there is no law, draws attention to the fact that the kind of conduct that Paul has outlined is that which lawmakers everywhere want to bring about. 
A healthy production of the fruit of the Spirit in the believer's life means that he doesn't need the law. He already fulfills it. And so he can fulfill that in the life of the Spirit. It's just the beginning. In my experience, the Holy Spirit's influence on my life in either a whisper or a loud voice, a gentle nudging or a stark reminder, or when you least expect it, or when you don't believe God is, is even near, in things you can see, in others that you can't, above and beyond what your expectations were. He has created a patience in waiting, an endurance in situations you will not understand ever on this side. It's in and through the Holy Spirit's action. My life has been in and through prayer, in and through his word. I can tell you examples of times where in extreme moments, his word that I've always known, a certain phrase of his word will jump out at me and give me an exact answer of, of the circumstance and, 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 and confirm what I was thinking or not. And th these were in extreme situations. It's interesting, you know, I mean, even right down to the, I know our time is going, but it was in relation to my sister and, and, and the outcome of her life. She passed away from cancer. The first time, though, that I was really before God in prayer for her was he gave me a verse that gave me hope. And he said to me, she's going to live. And she did through the first surgery. The second time, the second surgery, I asked for the same thing. God, give me something. He just gave me comfort, but she wasn't going to live. And that was an answer as well. So I tell you that in and through his word, he will give you certain direction in your life at a certain time to guide you. And he will give you verses sometimes. It may be through a fellow Christian. It may be through a message. It may be through a life experience. Life experience. Also warning me of moral pitfalls and dangers. Giving me hope against hope. Hope when there is none in this earth. Strength to face and exploit my weaknesses. Strengthening, spiritually speaking, in the inner man. Loving as God loves, not just me. I don't want to love, but as God loves. Forgiving as God forgives. Experiencing extreme and full and beyond understanding peace. How about a confidence? How about the revelation of his will in small things and in the big things? The gentle voice reminding me of his very near presence and his proof that he is involved in the puzzle of what I see in my life. His timing, his purpose, as once in a while he shows as he lifts the veil the odd time, just to let me see he's got my back. Fellowship in his word, that's a huge one the Holy Spirit allows us to do. His presence and power and direction in prayer. These are all things that the Holy Spirit can help us with as Christians. And um, I trust and pray. That's all we have for today, this morning. So we'll just close in a word of prayer. I trust and pray that, um, you know, today God might be made real to us. That his, his ways might just flood our souls as Christians. And uh, that's what we want to do as a church. Remind each other about the amazing standings that we have in Christ. The Holy Spirit does that, doesn't he? May he energize you and me to do that. The time is short. We'll never know if we come back next week or not, right? Some of us, I don't want to be a downer, but that's the way it is. We have to use our time wisely 
to remind each other about the things that we have in Christ. And may the Holy Spirit guide us in these things today. In Jesus' name. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for this time now, Lord, to, to gather around your word. We pray for every father out there. We pray for each one to be given the strength of Christ to continue to lead their family, to continue to, to avoid pitfalls that we may fall into, be that dad who the kids want to see. And um, we just thank you for that whole father that we have in you. And we thank you for the guidance of the, the, the Holy Spirit to reveal these things to us. They're real. And we thank you for that. We just pray that it would be real to someone's heart today. That may be born again and come into the reality of these things and turn themselves to Christ. So, Father, we just pray that you would help us to enjoy this day. Enjoy what we have as health and the measure that we have. Commit it all to you. We look forward to being used of you as we go on. In Jesus' name, amen.